Oh, my mic is drooping. I hate I hate a drooping mic. It's not what I heard. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. It's been a while. It's been about 11 days since the World Cup as of record time. Gab, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Rose City Sour. Um, I am out at a pub because I have plans uh, across the street tonight, so I didn't want to go all the way home and get drunk. So I'm getting pub drunk tonight, drinking uh, fancy signature cocktails. What are you enjoying this fine evening, buddy? It is a fine evening. It's quite a nice night in Boston. I'm having some random leftover white wine one of my roommates brought home, and he was like, finish this. So I said, okay. What in the heck should we talk about? Well, I I don't think there's been anything that's happened in the past two weeks in women's soccer. Yeah, definitely not since the last time we were wandering drunk through the streets of Vancouver at midnight. <laughs> For burgers and fries. I thought, I thought Sarah was going to, like, jump over the counter and strangle the guy that told us, oh, it'll only be a 10-minute wait. And then we were there for, like, over 30 minutes. Were we? Okay. I think so, yeah. I mean, well, that's how I remember that night. We'd all had a bit to drink, so time was kind of malleable at that point. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I was perfectly of sound mind and body. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, the World Cup happened. The United States won. We've all kind of dissected it to pieces. Let me ask you this. What was a team that surprised you, and what was a team that underperformed? Uh, team that overperformed England. Uh, I was not prepared for England at all. I every time they, like when they made the knockout round, I was like, oh man, that'll be easy. Like that'll be an easy win for insert team that they played in the round of 16 because I'm not at a computer and can't look up stats right now. Uh, but every single time they played, like even when they played Canada, and we were at that match, I was just like, well, hopefully Canada can out outperform England, you know, when it's a home game and the entire stadium is going for you. And Jody Taylor had a fantastic performance in that match. And and overall I I think England was my was my dark horse. Um I, I did not expect them to do what they did, especially after their performance at the Olympics three years ago. My team that underperformed was actually New Zealand and I, I know that New Zealand has never actually like performed. Um, New Zealand has never made it out of the uh, group play, but I was just I was I was expecting New Zealand to to be the dark horse. It, had you asked me, you know, six weeks ago, but yeah, just lackluster, and for some reason they just they they just didn't weren't able to put anything together. How about you? What was your what was your underperforming team? The team that I thought underperformed was Canada. They did go into the tournament with some hype, 
but I think that was all generated by kind of talk, not actual performance. I, I think I went into this tournament with fairly realistic expectations of Canada, which would be to go to quarters and then do well in quarters and maybe have a shot at semis. But they just struggled the whole way there. And then, you know, a couple mistakes really cost them against England, and England pounced on them. I thought Canada should have maybe done a little bit better in that tournament. Maybe a couple more players could have stepped up. You, you know what that, play, that tournament needed more of? Another Christine Sinclair? I was going to say more Diana Matheson. Yeah. Yeah. And and less Melissa Tancredi. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think they were trying to save DMath on the assumption that they would go farther that they would go further without her. And then they put her in when it was clear that if you don't use her now, you'll never get to. But I yeah, I think they waited a little too late. Which of course it's easy for us to second guess that decision now. Because we know how everything turned out. But I do think maybe they should have put her in sooner. There's no point in saving her if you're not going to get to the next level anyway. Right, right. And and I, I do think that they played her at the right time in that last match. Like, if you're not... If you haven't played her at all, now now is a decent time. And, and I agree that there is some holier-than-thou attitude about, like, well, what they really should have done. But, I mean, isn't that what we do here? <laughs> and, you know? Yeah. Like... Like is isn't that isn't that what we're what we shoot the shit about? Like, well, if I was Joe Ellis, I would have always played that lineup. I think a team that overperformed or did much better than expected. There's a couple candidates. There's England, obviously. Nobody thought they were going to do that well, except for them, maybe, including the BBC, because as we found out from an article published by Jonathan Tannenwald, where he interviewed Kelly Smith. Kelly Smith said the BBC didn't budget for England making it as far as they did. Like, they just they just assumed that they would go to maybe quarters and no further. So, good job, BBC. Although, you can't, <laughs> you can't super fault them for that, for trying to save some money based on previous results. Not necessarily the Olympics, because that was Team GB. Which, true, they, true. Were, okay, they had the yeah. services of Kim Little at their disposal. And if he DAK until she got hurt. But uh, another candidate I thought for overperforming was Colombia. Come on, they beat France. And then they, they did beat beat France. Um and they they had some pretty awesome goals uh against that goal that she scored like at the last minute. Against Mexico? Mexico, yeah. And then I wanna uh give a shout out to Costa Rica. Costa Rica, you know, they fought hard. They only lost by one to Brazil. They tied South Korea, and they tied Spain. You just like the coach. What's not to like about Valverde, though? She got the job in January of this year, and they were like, congratulations, you're going to the World Cup, you're head coach now. And she's like, what, 26? Something like that, 27. And they, they made it work with what they had. I don't think Costa Rica went home with anything to be ashamed about. So no, no, and and that's and that's a lot of the positives to take away from the whole tournament. That you know, for the first time, we're we're looking at a larger pool of teams. So you know, you can expect there to be a bit of a gap. But even those teams that we're at, kind of the bottom of the pool, some of them put up really, really good fights, um, and it's it's really hopeful. I, I think another team that I was impressed by 
was Cameroon. I was really impressed by what they were able to pull together, and I'm really looking forward to hopefully their their federation maybe spending a bit more on their on their women's team and, and seeing what sort of uh, development they can start uh, for their program. I think another team that severely underperformed was Sweden. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, their star striker Lotte Feelin got no shots on goal during the whole. Oh, what, it's like, painful. That's painful, and I think they're definitely entering a period of self-reflection, and they're kind of looking hard at Pio Sandaga and going, "Hmm." Well, I think the question is also, does your system is it universal? Yeah. Or does it only work with a certain type of mindset? Yeah. And I, I, I read a lot of articles around the time Sweden was was get, you know getting kicked out of the tournament um, where people were saying, you know, the players just haven't bought in to, Sweet, uh, to the Pia's uh, system. That's too competitive and it's too brass and, and frankly too American. And it's like, huh, that is interesting that maybe not all systems are the same. No, I think that's... I mean, if you just think about it from a nationality point of view, you talk to people who travel. I mean, we talked to lots of people from different countries, and we were explaining to them about American things. And if you grow up a certain way, it's definitely going to impact your mindset. The history of your country and your culture definitely impacts the way you regard competitiveness or winning or losing, stuff like that. It just makes me wonder, like, how, how did Pia get to the system she has then? You know what I mean? Like, was she the American coach for so long that she was just like, this is the winning way. Like, this is the recipe for for winning, and we're going to do it. And she was just inflexible for altering that to the Swedish culture. I think maybe she thought she could adapt it to Swedish culture. She was like, it worked pretty well for the Americans. Maybe if I can kind of port it over. But it turned out to be super incompatible. She was trying to force all these people who were, I don't know, dedicated Mac users, like, no, no, let's do Windows. I want you guys to do Windows now. And they they could make it work, but they were always like, but I want my old operating system. Right. They're like, it just doesn't feel right to have two buttons. <laughs> two buttons is too many. It just doesn't feel right to have to right click and make decisions and left click and make decisions. I just want to intuitively click. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Sweden Sweden was definitely on that list of, of underperformers. Who were the players that stood out to you? If we discard the I, obvious Carly Lloyd. Let's let's make a rule. You, I, I was, you can't I, say I, Carly I wrote, Lloyd. I, I I wrote Carlos in big bold letters. I mean, Lucy Bronze, she was big for England. Yep. Huge for England. I thought Jody Taylor really showed up for England, especially in that Canada match. I would say Ramona Bachman. I mean, she stood out from the pack, but she also never really managed to turn that into results. So, yes, she was noticeable, but she was equally as noticeable for what she didn't do, which was score. I think another player that could maybe deserve some mention is Elise Kellon Knight from Australia. She got stuck in, did a lot of the not super flashy work, but that's that important stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of the Morgan Bryan role in the United States or Becky Sauerbrunn. Yeah. So hard worker. Yeah. Those those people who are really oh. necessary to to keep it 
organized and controlled uh, for their team. But because they don't go forward, they don't score goals, or they're not making a lot of connections or flashy, they don't necessarily get a bunch of recognition. Well, let's talk a little bit about recognition and players that we haven't talked about. Sausage. Yeah. Yeah, Sausage is another one who definitely stood out. Yes, her goals are a little bit skewed because... (laughs) (laughs) Germany Germany played in the group of ten. Because Germany did that thing to Ivory Coast. That thing, that thing, that thing. Germany didn't do a good thing to Ivory Coast. No. Unless you're German. So Sausage... She's only 27. She's at the top of her game. She's a menace every time she touches the ball. Other, like, defenses... I don't want to say they tremble at her name, but any defense is going to know to keep an eye on her. She's got a reputation now. And she retired. She said she wanted to uh, focus on her studies and family. And then Lauren Holiday also retired. And Lauren Holiday is only 27 as well? Yeah. And I I would argue that both of them have have not peaked yet. They have not been the best recognized player. I mean, winning gold boot at the World Cup is a pretty big deal. But I, I feel like they both could have done more with their careers. But they both said, "Yeah, we're good. I'm good now. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready to do my next thing." Lauren Holiday has won a World Cup and now has gone to two Olympics and gotten gold medals, and she won NWSL championship. So I don't think there's really much else for her unless she wants to compete in Champions League or something like that. And then Sausage has done Champions League. Uh, Germany won the Euro. They uh, She's been to the Olympics. Germany medaled in 2008. She's gotten stuff like Footballer of the Year in Germany. She kicked ass all over the Bundesliga. She's got the the golden shoe. I mean, yes, she seems like she could stick around for one more cycle to try again with Germany in 2019. But, you know, to her, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe she wants to start a family now while she's a little younger. Maybe she wants to start a job job now. Who knows? So, a job job? Yeah. Job jobs are so boring, boring. <laughs> they are boring, boring, but they're stable, stable. Truth, truth. So so I was actually expecting the ML- the NWSL to kind of be what the MLS has become, or is. I guess it never was anything different, where other players come here to retire. Um, I was kind of expecting that trend to keep up a little bit, so I was expecting Life Sausage to come play or like Western New York Flash before she retires, or or some other team that could snag her. I was a little surprised by the news, only in the sense where I was like, "Man, you're not even gonna play in the NWSL? What a bum deal!" Like, <laughs> you you listed all, all all of her awards and accolades. Like, she doesn't have an NWSL championship. Oh yeah, so American. I'm I'm proud to be an American. Yeah, why wouldn't she want to be separated from her husband for a couple months going for an NWSL championship when she could just retire now and enjoy her family? Right? Yeah, I mean, on paper it makes a lot of sense. It's just shocking. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a little shocking, especially given like the culture of women's soccer where players aren't necessarily bowing out 
when it's appropriate. I don't know when who you could possibly. They probably should. Who could you possibly be referencing? I don't know anybody who has kind I, of stayed in the game slightly too long. I, I just feel like some players should take this opportunity to say, you know what, I'm good. And I wasn't expecting Lauren Holiday or Celia Sausage to be those players. I I was expecting it to be some of the players who maybe are a little bit older and maybe that's ageist. I know Christian Rampone has basically said, you know, if my body holds up, I would love to go to the Olympics, which I'm not entirely sure is the right reason for doing so. But, you know, kudos. People, people run triathlons and marathons, and I don't understand why they do that stuff. So I don't understand why you would keep going if you're doing it because your body is holding up. But, you know, whatever, to each their own, because she ran home. Our friend Angie on Twitter pointed out that Lauren Holiday was kind of Shannon Box's replacement, and she retired before Shannon Box. Yeah, weird, right? Like, Shannon Box, though, like, took time off and had a kid. Lauren Holiday could do the exact same thing. She just... She's choosing to remove herself from the equation. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting situation. You know, she wants to play higher up. She likes attacking, and she did her duty and played deeper and was a more defensive role, but she's got a World Cup now, so there's no guarantee she could step away and come back and she wouldn't be shoved right back into that role that's not maximizing her use so yeah I, I can see why she would step away now god i want tom sermani back so bad god we are never ever 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 getting back together god i want him back so bad so i, I want i want vladko to coach the national team like i wonder if vladko got the job if holiday would come out of retirement Here's what I'm wondering, though. I wonder if there's some kind of contractual CBA thing that's keeping some of these players around because maybe there's some kind of benefit that they get and that they're they're waiting until time on their contract runs down. I mean, that, that seems reasonable, but also I don't see U.S. soccer providing that, like, extension or that date. I, I see the CBA being structured where... When you've been around a certain number of years, like when you have tenure, your base salary increases uh, by certain degrees. I see it also when you hit certain milestones, like 100 caps or 100 goals or, you know, 200 caps. You also see an increase to your base or, you know, that year you see a bonus and the next year you see an increase to your base or whatever. I don't see them doing period extensions. Like, you need to, if you stick with us through the next Olympics, you will are guaranteed a bonus of X percent. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're just sticking around because they can, and they, they get the benefit of that from the CBA. The players last finalized their CBA in 2013. Which, if you'll remember, that season NWSL kind of was weird at the beginning because they were still dealing with their CBA and the national teamers were a little bit late to show up. Um, And that extends until 2016. So, who knows? There's all sorts of stuff going on with that contract that gives the players a lot of power that they didn't originally have. And on the one hand, I'm not going to blame the women 
who were historically kind of kicked around by the Federation for trying to make that position as secure as possible. But now we've seen, I think, that maybe it's swung a little too far where if a player wanted to, they can use that CBA as leverage to be in a position maybe they shouldn't be in. Which I guess is the risk of any good CBA, but you would just hope that it wouldn't get taken advantage of. It would be used correctly so that in the next negotiation for CBAs, U.S. soccer doesn't come down and be like, no, no, you already did this to us once before. We're going to take away some of the things that you asked for last time. Well, okay, so the CBA runs through 2016, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So 2016, we're going to have the Olympics. Yep. If the women's national team, they've won the World Cup, let's let's go out on a limb and say they're going to win the Olympics. Sure. That's CBA they own. That's true. U.S. soccer is already under fire for, like, there was the FIFA hearings at the Senate yesterday, and some of the questions were about, like, spending between the men's team and the women's team, and, like, why there's, like, disparity and sponsors and all sorts of different things. And so, you know, FIFA's, FIFA's getting cracked down on. If it gets to the point where we have both the reigning world champions and the reigning Olympic gold medalists, the U.S. women's soccer team has leverage they have never had ever, ever, ever before. That's true. They will have an incredible amount of leverage, at least through 2019, for the next round of negotiations. Who knows? Who knows? Such a good transition. (laughs) Who knows? And then, like, that emoji of the guy shrugging. (laughs) Right? Like, who knows? And then just a picture of Chard. And then just a picture of a dog on its hind legs, and it says, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> but no, I mean, really, at, at, at this point, the women's national team, like USA players, are out marketing themselves. They're getting as much exposure as humanly possible. ESPYs last night, Kids' Choice Awards tonight, I'm sure they've got plans tomorrow night hopefully they show up at their club teams matches just for appearance sake especially the ones that got especially the ones that got moved so that all this sb stuff could happen right the thing the thing that strikes me as odd um with some of the stuff though is not the whole team was there at the sbs you know what though i can see that being a personal thing where they're like I'd rather spend time with my family. Enough of you are going. It's not going to look weird if I'm not there. I have family obligations or something like Or they're just, you know, tired. They just don't want to go and do all that shit. Oh, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. But I would like to note that Tobin is in Portland. Tobin just seems like the kind of person that was like, yeah, that's cool, man. Party's awesome. But I kind of just want to play soccer. I haven't touched right? the ball. I haven't touched a ball in like three hours, so I should probably go get on the pitch. I, she's like, I did that parade thing, and it was really cool, and I'll probably never do anything nearly as cool as that parade thing ever again. So you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of chill for now. Like, let's let's just play some footy. Yeah, I mean, Tobin, it's easy to see her being like, oh, I have to like wear real clothes for this. I can't go in soccer shorts and a t-shirt. Um, I'm just gonna go to Portland. Have fun. I I appreciate that, and I also appreciate that the players have started to like make fun of how tired they are. At this point, too, I think Mick Rapino had a pretty spot on uh, reaction to some of the 
crafts last night at the SBs where she and like Ashlyn uh, played like they were sleeping standing up. Yeah. For a few. Um, I cannot imagine being on the schedule they're on, especially with some of these things that they need to get ready for um, and the amount of time that goes into just looking that good. That does beg the question, though. They're getting a lot of attention from the national team. Friendlies for the Victory Tour are starting to sell out, but none of them really are mentioning four letters, NWSL. So all this publicity, I don't think it's translating very well to the league, the league that keeps everybody alive in between World Cups and Olympics. Like, how cool would it be if they showed up at the Kids' Choice Awards all wearing their jerseys for our NWSL teams? That would be cool. Or, you know, if they all had the scarves, at least, of their NWSL teams. Something like that. Yeah, some of them are kind of, like, Allie Krieger, she went on Grantland and mentioned, yeah, this is our job, after this we're going back to the league, NWSL. Although she didn't say the words Washington Spirit, I don't think. I can understand uh... how, you know, you're just talking in the moment in the interview, you don't necessarily, if you don't prepare, you're not necessarily going to remember, oh, I need to mention this point. But it's kind of an important point. You would hope maybe there was like a mandate that would be coming from the top down going, guys, if you give an interview, please do your best to at least mention your club team's name once. Like, what are you doing after this? Well, oh, I'm going back to my club team, the whatever, whatever, to finish out the season with them. That's where we all play when we're not with the national team. Yeah, that kind of top-down structure might have to start with some Soccer United marketing who has their hand in MLS, the national teams, and to an extent NWSL, some kind of coordinated top-down marketing strategy that we're just not seeing, which is not the player's fault. Yeah, it's it's not the player's fault, and it's also something that is basic marketing 101. Like, hey, we have a group of individuals who who all have a voice at this point in time. What are the two points we want them to mention every single time they're in front of a microphone? Like, each player on their own is probably like, maybe I'll mention the league if I can work it in. But if somebody in charge says, hey, team meeting, 20 minutes, we're going to do a little slideshow, and we're going to tell you this point and this point, this point and this point, this point and and just, you know, a little bit of training goes a long way. Either some or U.S. Soccer Federation is really falling down on this. Not MLS. There was an article on ESPNW that claims that MLS is responsible for nationwide promotion with NWSL and the national teams. And I think the article mixed it up. Yeah, I think the article mixed it up because it all goes back to some. Soccer United marketing. I mean, if MLS is really in charge of marketing NWSL... They're fucking screwing the pooch. Yeah, it, it's it's poor marketing. Like they just they are, don't know what they're doing. Had had we had this conversation three years ago, I would have been like, there is zero marketing knowledge of, uh, with regard to the NWSL. The, the the focus with NWSL for the past two and a half years has been grassroots. How do we get out into the community and get people in the community out to games? And it's on a team by team basis. Like if there's a national firm representing the NWSL with regard to marketing, like, shit should be so much better. I agree. The grassroots stuff has been NWSL just turning to each club and going, you're responsible for your demographic, 
you know your city, you do your thing. Which, which is why we're seeing such uh, a wide range of marketing tactics. We're not seeing any consistency. Like we're not seeing a consistency in messaging. We're not seeing a consistency in tagline. Like I would love the NWSL to have a consistent tagline even. You know, the women's national team created that she believes tagline. And that was something that really held through the entire tournament. You know, when they won the World Cup, Hillary Clinton's like campaign Twitter tweeted she believes with the hashtag and a photo of the team. And it was just like, you know, that became a tagline. And WSL has never had that sort of synchronized, um, coordinated marketing effort, which makes me believe that some marketing has, or some marketing is like NWSL soccer. Some has never actually put together a plan or has never actually been affiliated with NWSL until this fucking parade. Oh, this fucking parade. <sighs> Amazing parade. Like, yay, I, I want a ticker tape parade. Like, it's, it's awesome in the fact that, hey, there's a parade celebrating a women's team. But, oh, if some marketing is responsible... God, I keep saying it. It's like ATM machine. <laughs> um, if if some is responsible for the messaging, NYCFC never should have been able to initially tweet, hey, enter to win, like, if you're a season ticket holder, enter to win a spot on our parade float. Yeah. It was all just a huge clusterfuck, and people are like, oh, they got mad without knowing all the information. It's like, we went on the information tweeted by the club. I don't see how that was an overreaction when we used the words that the club used. So you, what, uh, what I gathered from media telling me to be patient um, or, or take a deep breath, I think was, was the quote. Take, take a deep breath and figure out how we can all uh, make a per soccer parade more inclusive or something like that. The, the, the message I got from that was like, calm your tits, you're misunderstanding what's going on. I don't think we were misunderstanding. Do you think that? I do not think we misunderstood anything. I think the the reaction caused what actually happened at the parade. Like, I think the reaction caused Red Bulls and NYCFC to say, okay, who are ladies in our organization that we can put on a parade? And are we doing any outreach in the community towards girls in soccer? Like, I, I, I get that this thing has a fast turnaround. Like, they won the cup on Sunday, their parade happens on Friday, and that shit doesn't come together overnight. But, oh my god, like, do not tell me to call my tits. Yeah, and, and in this ESPNW article, the author also argues that the working relationship between MLS and NWSL is year-long, it's not just a one-off, and I'm like, bull fucking shit. Okay, you've got two teams, the Thorns and the Dash. That's a team-by-team -team thing. But MLS as an organization, like men's soccer, American men's soccer, since when have they ever bought into women's soccer in this country on the national or club level? Well, I mean, to be fair, back in 2000, they wanted to start WMLS or something like that. Like that might not be the right acronym, but like after the 99 World Cup, they wanted to start a MLS version for women. No, like I don't know the details as if it would be like every franchise would get a team or anything like that, but like they saw the opportunity in 1999. And the US Women's Soccer team, I I want to say, 
basically was like, you know, we kind of want to do this on our own. Like, we kind of want our own thing. We don't want to be the WNBA. Which I think it was a... I don't think that was necessarily a bad position to take at that time. They had... I don't think they could have known that interest was going to dry up. Because it was the first time this had really happened. And they were like, wow, people really like us. And I don't think we were quite aware of the whole cycle thing. Where during the World Cup, people jump on the bandwagon. And then as soon as you can't get any more points for going USA, you get off the bandwagon. Maybe, right. Maybe they right. should have known. Maybe so, they should, I don't know. Who, who knows what they were thinking at that point in time, but MLS did show interest. So I think saying they've never shown interest is, is unfair. But they did show interest. But to say that MLS and NWSL have a year-long working relationship, you're drawing a very, very thin line. Like, you're, you're drawing a thread between the fact that Don Garber and Jeff Plush meet with U.S. soccer, and that's the, like, seven degrees of Kev- Kevin Bacon or something like that, um, that, that they have that connection through U.S. soccer. Yes, Merritt Paulson used to be on the board of U.S. soccer, and U.S. soccer kind of has, a, has a hand in both leagues, but these are not organizations that are supporting each other at the name level like they're they're supporting each other at the club level and i would love for somebody to show me how new york red bulls or nycfc supported women's soccer before the world cup now apparently red bulls wanted to make an offer to sky blue fc but sky blue didn't like that they'd have to rebrand which I'm not super sure Sky Blue, despite winning in WPS, was the strongest brand, so I'm not really down with that business decision. Here's my thing, though. With the WMLS, whatever it would have been called, I think there were very legitimate reasons for women to think, we don't want to be the men's auxiliary. We want to have our own league on our own terms and be respected as athletes and not just as in addition to men. I think that there were genuine fears that, you know, when things get rough at the club, and this was at a time when MLS was not solvent at all. If we're talking 2000, MLS... Right, that's, that's MLS 1.0 still. Yeah, so MLS is not on the most stable financial footing either. So if you look at that and you go, ooh, maybe we'll try on our own because we're getting interest from big te- like some pretty big sponsors, we'll try and go on our own because if times get tough, What's the first program that's going to get cut? The women's team. Because they're going to be seen as expendable. They're going to get cut to pay somebody else's salary. And we see it all the time now. still happening. In Brazil, uh, what was it, Santos? They cut their entire women's team in order to pay Neymar a little more. Um, We saw the Vancouver Whitecaps. They cut their whole women's program. Like, women's soccer across Canada before the Women's World Cup kind of took a nosedive. So, yeah. Now that women's soccer is stronger in the United States, where in Portland um, it's a viable financial thing and they actually make money, and in Houston the Dynamo have the structure to safely have a women's team in place without them having to be afraid of getting cut every season, it's different now. So yeah, that affiliation makes sense. But I don't think that women in the past turning down offers from men's soccer should be any kind of damnation to them now. I would love to ask a 99er. Hindsight's 2020. Would you would you have rather 
women's soccer in the United States have gone the way of WMLS. If any of you know any 99ers, tell them to come on the show. We'll buy them beers or donuts or what have you. All of the donuts. <laughs> all of all of the donuts and all of the beer. But I, I think I think that's that's a really really interesting thesis or not, hypo- hypothesis hypothesis hypothesis. I think that they would say no to a WMLS today, even knowing what they know about what happens in women's soccer. So I just did not appreciate all the stuff that was like, it's totally fine. You should be inclusive of MLS. Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, a, that's a World Cup parade for World Cup winners. B, if they are truly wanting to support women's soccer, slap, you know, some sponsor banners on those floats, which in the end they did, and then just get out of the way. Because if you really, which wanna... in the end they they kind of sort of did, except for MLS. Yeah. As a whole. Yeah. And C, I think Don Garber getting up there and speaking instead of Jeff Plush kind of disproved a lot of the. No, MLS totally doesn't want to like ride on their coattails. It's like. Because apparently Jeff Plush was there on that stage. I swear to God, I saw some Twitter stuff about Jeff Plush is there. Yeah, how he must be mute or something. Like, he must have a sore throat, not want to speak. It's great that Garber name-dropped NWSL, which it would be really shitty of him not to, considering the NWSL commissioners on that stage. But imagine how much more appropriate and powerful that message would be coming from the NWSL commissioner or any NWSL spokesperson, anybody, anybody at all. Well, my, my position on the whole thing is I'm okay. If I'm like, I'm okay with sponsors. Um, I'm okay with, with Brits cracker. I'm okay with EA sports. Like if MLS wants to be a fucking sponsor, Hey, guess what? I I would love to shake your hand and go to a Timbers game and be like, hey, I'm doing this because MLS sponsors the U.S. Women's National Team. Totally fine with that. And I get that that buys you marketing in the parade, but when you try to steal the spotlight, which I think a couple of of initial tweets were edging towards, like that shit gets called out. And and it's only because we're used to it. Like, we're used to that shit. We're used to people stealing that thunder. And to tell me to calm my tits, tell me to take a deep breath, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Yeah, we not, get... Not cool. We get two opportunities for every four years to really enjoy women's soccer on its own. The World Cup and the Olympics. And if we don't win the World Cup, it's like, oh, well, they did well, but we didn't win. They, we fucking finally won after 16 years. Let us just have this one thing. This one thing to ourselves. Can we have one nice thing? No? No, okay. no. It's, it's going to be it's gonna be a fucking soccer parade. It's, <sighs> it's got to be a fucking soccer parade because you got to grow the sport. you got to grow the game stuff. Hashtag grow the game. I right? will accept that when I see way more buy-in from the men's side of the game. If they, you know what, if they prove me wrong and this is just the beginning of a long and fruitful relationship, I'm happy to be proven wrong because, you know, women's soccer gets support out of that. But if MLS or whoever fades out of this conversation and then picks up a little bit again around the Olympics and then fades out again for the next two years, well, it's, it's not like we didn't tell you it was going to happen. 
I love being proven wrong about things I'm really passionate about because I'm passionate because I don't think what I want will happen. Prove us wrong. We would Prove love us to, wrong, MLS. We would love to come on this show like in a year's time and be fucking eating crow left and right and being like, you know what? You guys fucking showed us. We're a couple of jackasses. Yeah, we're a couple of two drunk fans ranting about women's soccer on the internet because we want to talk about this shit. And nobody in our real lives wants to talk about it with us. Like, again, really? Can't you just, like, go talk to people on the internet about that? Fine, I will. Yeah, I will, and I'm going to make a podcast about it. All right. Well, that was the week in women's soccer. We're going to return to ranting about NWSL in our next episode, but just so much has happened kind of on the broader stage that we had to talk about it all. Yeah, I can't wait for everybody to be back it'll be nice to have all the national teamers back it'll make fantasy league a little bit easier to pick (laughs) i want everyone to be back so that the bitching stops like they just won a world cup what are you gonna do you're gonna go to disneyland like you're gonna go live it up for a little while instead everybody's like why haven't they shown up for their club duty dude do the math like i i realized this this spring or in the fall or whenever the World Cup schedule came out, I was like, okay, so there's potential that national teamers are going to miss like 9 to 12 weeks of NWSL, which means majority of seasons going to be gone. I cannot believe teams are marketing their national team players without like like the week after the World Cup. I, I, I'm flabbergasted. That's a very tight rope to walk having national teamers in the house but they're not playing because then you inevitably get some bandwagoning housefrau who's like i only came here to see carly lloyd and if she's not here i'm not going to support this team that enables carly and lloyd I to play money back. can't wait till everyone's back that's not in a stop your victory tour and get back to your clubs way like after the you know grueling year that they had maybe a two-week vacation is in order it hasn't even been two weeks yet not no, even two it's weeks been 11 days like fucking give and and it's not like they are on vacation they're fucking still working yeah it would just be nice if they would name drop the league that keeps women's soccer alive in between hard times so that's all for this week's episode of two drunk fans we'll get back to you next episode with a lot more nwsl talk we promise until then drag all your friends to nwsl games see if you can get them to buy that merch buy into the team we're all in this together